during this summer, our minister, Brian Kiley, has um, a summer holiday. And during that time, we have lay-led services that um, people volunteer to give. So today it's me. I haven't done this for a while, so it's a real pleasure to do this again. Um, there are announcements printed in your order of service, um, some on the front, some on the back. And I have one additional announcement. We have a visitor today, Arthur Shaw, who's sitting in the front row. And he has some of his books for sale for $7 after the service. It's called Death of a Country, The Disappearance of Rupert's Land. And it's about homesteading in this area and kind of the politics around it too. Okay. Are there any other announcements? We need a new volunteer to take yogurt containers to uh, the right to the right place, and it's on Jasper Avenue. What, what's the matter? Oh, okay. <laughs> <I don't laughs> great. Cool. <coughs> it's in there. Okay, well, I didn't know it was in. So <laughs> then you know it, and thanks. I'll let That's you know great. how it works. Thank you. Thank you. That worked well. <laughs> Any other people who need volunteers? I need someone to, you know, cut down trees in my yard. You know, okay, sir. <laughs> um, we'll start with a prelude in a minute, but I want to um, just explain why the lights are low. We left them low on purpose because this is a meditative service, so we thought the lights would aid in the meditation and making this seem like a time out of time. Is there anybody who's having trouble reading? Okay, then I think we're going to leave the lights like this, if that's okay. So we'll begin our service with a prelude. The music today is from uh, Deva Primal and Maitin. They are a couple um, who sing a lot of um, Eastern songs and mantras. And the other music today is from River Tribe, a group from Australia that uses uh, didgeridoos, one of my favorite instruments. So I hope you enjoy the music.
number 661 the heart knoweth if you want to follow along the heart knoweth we have a great deal more kindness than is ever spoken the whole human family is bathed with an element of love like a fine ether how many persons we meet in houses whom we scarcely speak to whom we yet honor and who honor us how many we see in the street or sit within church whom though silently we warmly rejoice to be with read the language of these wandering eye beams heart knoweth we have three hymns today um, that I've very carefully chosen to fit in with the theme and the first one had to be Come, come, whoever you are. And I think we should sing it twice because it's fairly short. Hymn number 188. (coughs) You know what? We'll sing it three times. That always works. (laughs) Part of our being in community is hearing each other's stories. Some are stories of joy and some are stories of sorrow. And so I'm inviting people to come forward and light a candle first in silence. And then with the mic, you can tell us your story if you wish. Another part of being in community after sharing our stories, is sharing our money. (laughs) So we'll have an offering now. The music for the offering is, I have to sing it, it's right, Yemeya Asasu. It's a very catchy song. It's a song sung by the Yoruba women, and it's about um, the river coming to the ocean and reuniting with the ocean. So please feel free to sing along. I probably will end up singing along because it's one of my favorite songs and it really only has two lines, which you'll learn very easily as you hear it. Oh, Lord, oh, yeah, my, yeah. 
Today is from William Wordsworth. <coughs> Excuse me, getting over a summer cold. I gave it to Stella too. Only hers is bronchitis, and she still came to play for us. And I have felt a presence that disturbs me with the joy of elevated thoughts, a sense sublime of something far more deeply interfused whose dwelling is the light of setting suns and the round ocean and the living air, a motion and a spirit that impels all thinking things, all objects of all thought, and rolls through all things. So my sermon today is about the labyrinth. The labyrinth that I have given to our church is behind me, <clears throat> and um, afterwards you're invited to walk it. Uh, what we'll do is just move the chairs, and then just drag it right onto the carpet, and it fits on the carpet. It's um, a replica of the Seven Circuit Classical Labyrinth from Crete, I, they think. Um, the design is about 4,000 years old. And it's um, just a white tarp with blue painter's tape. But you know what? It stills a labyrinth and it works. I remember once walking a labyrinth that was only three circuits, three circles, made out of black electrical tape on the floor of a church. And that's the one that reduced me to tears. It was still an amazing energy at work. So this um, sermon is based a lot on a paper I did when I was at university on a, taking a theology course. Um, and it's the story of two labyrinth walks that I made the very first one, which was in a short labyrinth in a meadow in rural Ontario. And the second one was the um, classical labyrinth, the same design, um, um, and the, it painted on the basement, the banquet room of McDougall United Church here in town. The short labyrinth is the one that's on this finger labyrinth. Um, the original one is about 40, the in Chartres Cathedral, this labyrinth, is um, painted on the floor. It's usually covered with chairs, but I've heard that every Friday they on purpose move the chairs aside for walkers. And then during uh, labyrinth retreats, led usually by um, Lauren Artris, they'll move the chairs. Um, it has 13 circuits or circles, and um, it's about 46 feet in diameter. First of all, I thought I should explain what a labyrinth is. A labyrinth is a pattern, usually contained by a large circle, that has one path beginning at the outer edge and leading in a circuitous way into the center of the pattern. Labyrinths found in medieval churches and cathedrals are flat to the floor and are called pavement or church labyrinths. They can also be made into grass paths, earthen mounds, or other materials that give them dimension. And the labyrinth at this church, I already explained, is tarp, just plain ordinary tarp. But you know what? It works. One day, it will be painted, and it will be the short labyrinth. We paint it on the floor of the social hall, and then eventually it will be in tile on that floor. That's my vision. Mazes and labyrinths have been confused with one another for centuries. A labyrinth is unicursal. Think unicircle. One path. 
A labyrinth has no dead ends called a sax and has one clear path to the center. A maze is a game, a cognitive challenge to see how quickly one can find the way to the goal. There's an easy way to make that distinction. A maze is designed to make you lose your way, and a labyrinth is designed to help you find your way. The path of a labyrinth is narrow on purpose. The narrow path intensifies the focus and concentration of the walker. To walk a labyrinth, you put one foot in front of the other and you just walk. When you reach the center, you turn around and you walk the same way out. There is no right way and no wrong way to walk a labyrinth. I want to start with a quotation from Lauren Artris. Lauren is the person who um, basically brought the labyrinth to North America. She um, practices out of Grace Cathedral in San Francisco. They have a labyrinth um, outside the church. And then in November, for the first time in 600 years, a labyrinth was placed in the floor in stone in that church. Before that, they had a canvas labyrinth and then a wool tapestry labyrinth. And now they have a stone labyrinth. And the first people to walk that labyrinth were the masons that put it in. The spiritual search today is guided by longing. It is a longing for the divine. A longing to have a direct experience of the holy rather than simply believing in the tenets of a faith handed down to us. In the words of theologian Marcus Borg, we want first-hand, not second-hand religion. We want an experience, not just beliefs. Elizabeth Lester, author of A New American Spirituality, writes that this spiritual longing is neither a feeling nor a thought. It is more like a gravitational pull in the direction of wholeness, enlightenment, truth, what some people call God. And the reward is what author Parker Palmer calls the rapture of being alive. So this is the account of, of two labyrinth walks that I made, which I hope will give you some clear idea of why I walk the labyrinth. I believe the resurgence of the practice of walking a labyrinth answers a spiritual hunger in people. In the age of science and industrialization, we lost a connection to the soul, one felt by our forebears in the everyday connection with nature. Walking the labyrinth, we can journey to health and wholeness. My first encounter with the labyrinth happened on July 7, 2001, when I went with my twin sister to a day-long meditation retreat while on vacation to mark our 50th, 50th birthday. Yes, I'm coming 57. The retreat was offered by Horst Nussbaum at his clay garden studio and meditation center on a small acreage outside of Sydney, Ontario. The morning was taken up with theory and practice of group meditation in the meditation room of his country home, followed by explanation and practice of mindful walking meditation in the country garden. The walking meditation helped me feel calm and centered and slower. And yes, I can hear that those of you who know me laughing inside, I can hear it. I think it helped being on vacation, knowing I had nowhere else to be with nothing else I needed to be doing. We enjoyed a tasty organic vegetarian lunch on the lawn with quiet, low-key conversation about the food and the landscape and the creation of his labyrinth. Then we went back to the meditation room where Horst explained some of the history of the chart labyrinth and how Lauren Artris brought it to North America. He explained he did not want to create expectations by describing what would happen during the walk. Something could happen or nothing could happen. You could have a nice walk. He asked us to just be open to the experience of walking, to walk slowly and intentionally. Horst suggested we have a question or an intention in mind as we entered the labyrinth and to be open to receive whatever came in response. As I stood at the entry to the labyrinth, I formed a vague question about whether I was on the correct path as I was beginning an intense and focused psychological and spiritual journey. 
I didn't form a definite question. I wanted to remain open to whatever happened. I looked out on the path set in the grass of horse beautiful front yard, surprised by the large size of the shark style labyrinth. Wild flowers in the grass were a distraction. Other people walking around me were a distraction. I felt scattered and unfocused like I was forcing attention. Then an inner voice whispered gently to be still and listen. A calmness came to me and I relaxed and enjoyed the rhythm of the walk, mindful more of the motion, mindful of feeling calm. At the center, I raised my arms to each direction and allowed myself to move with the strong wind. It felt so right to yield to a feeling of oneness with the wind and nature around me. I wanted to stay there for a long time. Walking the path out from the center, I was following another person closely. She was walking much slower than I was. I knew you could pass another person, but somehow it felt discourteous, so I tried to walk slower. This is really hard, I thought, beginning to feel a little frustrated with myself. I continued on focusing on how hard it was. Suddenly, a bemused inner voice chided gently, If you'd want it easy, you'd be one of Aunt Vera's cats. I was startled into a silent belly laugh. It was a joke among my cousins and myself that if we wanted an easy life, we should return as one of Aunt Vera's pampered cats. <laughs> How lovely, I thought, that God has a sense of humor. I had no trouble slowing down and enjoying the rest of the walk, bathed in a feeling of gentleness and love. I knew I had received the answers to my questions. Be still and listen. Don't rush. Yes, it's hard, but spiritual journeys often are. You are beloved. After a short sharing, sitting in chairs arranged at one side of the labyrinth, we were given the choice of walking the labyrinth again. I had noticed horse walking the labyrinth barefoot, and I wanted to do so myself to see if it felt different. Walking barefoot, I felt awkward at first, conscious of the unevenness of the ground and the thistle that had distracted me the first time I walked, and that thistle was not there the second time I walked. It just was not there. After a couple of turns, though, I became conscious of the familiarity of the path and walked naturally. I felt a certainty that I knew the path, I knew the way. In the center, I once again stood with my hands upheld, fingers open to receive. I swayed with the wind and with the energy that tingled at my fingertips. There was such a calm, certain joy. When I was still and quiet, the labyrinth became a place of time out of time. Walking out on the path, I was only conscious of the rhythm in my body's movements and in my walking. I had a certain feeling of knowing that I was on the right path. In my labyrinth walk, I was, when I was forced to slow down, to focus, to be mindful, is when the insights came. When I was distracted by the outer world, the grass, the wildflowers, the thistle, the other people, I was not listening. When I was able to let go of the outer world, then I could hear and listen to the inner voice. And Margot Adler is quoted by Lauren Artis in her new book and about the purpose of ritual, and the labyrinth is for sure a ritual. The purpose of ritual is to wake up the old mind, to put it to work. The old ones inside us, the collective unconscious, the many lives, the different eternal parts, the senses, and the parts of the brain that have been ignored. Those parts do not speak English. They do not care about television. They do understand candlelight and colors. They do understand nature. <clears throat> when we dedicated this labyrinth, I referred to um, not the principles um, of our Unitarian Universalist faith, but the sources of our faith. 
And the one to which the labyrinth is connected for me is a source that talks about direct experience of that transcending mystery and wonder affirmed in all cultures, which moves us to a renewal of the spirit and an openness to the forces that create and uphold life. And that's how the labyrinth speaks for me. I believe that quiet directive to be still and listen and the feeling of being loved were direct experience experiences of that transcending mystery and wonder that I call God. And I'm using the word God on purpose when I write now because I'm reclaiming it with my meaning. And it's very difficult to do sometimes because of all the connotations that are piled on that word, but I'm reclaiming it. I believe that walking the labyrinth can help me pause and open to the divine. Sharon Warren, who works with the labyrinth in her counseling practice, says this about the labyrinth. Working with the labyrinth is soul work. When we enter into the realm of soul, strange things happen. Time changes, seeming to stand still or fall away into the vast expanse of eternal time. Feelings of connection extend in all directions, becoming connected to the deep inner self that is not in solitude, the place where we go to meet God, Goddess, Jesus, Buddha, Allah, higher power, great spirit, beloved, use your own word. The second experience I'm writing about that I've written about and I'll share with you is walking a Cretan labyrinth, this one, and that's the experience that happened at MedDougal United Church. I was part of a group um, of four. Our theology class was divided into groups of four, and we were to present some kind of um, happening thing that um, the rest of the class could then have a theological reflection about. So we were teasing that, oh, well, we'll just take the whole class on a field trip to a labyrinth, joking that it would be an easy assignment, and looked over at our professor, Margaret Clark, and who was nodding, saying, yes, yes, do it, do it. So we did. So um, the group of four of us planned um, a field trip to the labyrinth at McDougall, which included a shared supper and lots of ritual. Being part of a group, bringing other people to the labyrinth experience was a joy. Researching and sharing information with the members of my group confirmed for me the importance of the labyrinth as an archetype with which we can have a direct experience. It's a metaphor for life's journey, a symbol that creates a sacred space and place and time and takes us out of our ego to that which is within. Our group was conscious that we were creating a sacred time, space, and experience for our classmates as they encountered the labyrinth. We gathered in a circle. We explained the order of events for the evening. I introduced the history of the labyrinth, which I'm not going to do now. Be thankful. It's pages long. Then another person outlined the instructions for the walk. She emphasized that the best advice for walking the labyrinth is to relax and trust the process. Excuse me. Walkers were cautioned to shed any expectations before beginning their walk. We wanted it to be entirely open for people. We said that they could hold a question, but mainly just to be open to whatever happened. Or, if you didn't want to be, just walk for the fun of it. After the instruction, people were given journals to write in, and the walk was followed by a shared meal and then a shared reflection about what had happened. My own experience walking that labyrinth was healing. I began hoping just for some peace. Rod's mother was in hospital dying, and I had been feeling grief-stricken, feeling very apart, very separate, because I was, for that grieving time, unlike other people. I needed to pay some attention to feeling peace. Entering the labyrinth, I felt aware of others, as separate and as part of a whole, I was able to stop when I needed to stop and listen to the music with my eyes closed when I needed to. It felt effortless to do so. I was feeling more and more calm. I was not conscious of needing to get to the center. Just the walk was enough. And this was um, very um, interesting 
unusual experience for me because there were 22 of us in that class. And at one time, most of us were on that labyrinth. And it's not much bigger than this one. So it was very interesting. me. I just noticed. The person ahead of me stopped at the entry to the center, and the person behind me passed to her to stand in the center. I waited a moment, then passed the stop person to enter the center myself. There was no awkwardness about this little dance. It just was. I stood at the center facing outward with my eyes closed, one hand cupped under the other, and then opened them to a chalice. I stayed a while like this and opened my fingers and my eyes to receive. It seemed that the journey out took less time than the journey in. I felt lighter, happier, peaceful. I smiled at people. I wanted to dance and sing and hug everyone. I noticed the swaying of the skirt, a long skirt, of the walker in front of me, the rhythm of it. It seemed the rhythm of her skirt matched the rhythm of my own walking. Then I could see all of us swaying the same as we walked in the same rhythm. It felt like we were dancing the same dance. The journey was very fruitful for me. Once again, I was comforted by the feeling of being beloved. I felt we were all part of the whole. I could feel it. I was struck with wondering why I sometimes set myself apart, keep myself separate. The experiences of the walkers were varied. Some people shared what had happened to them. Some chose not to. One experienced the labyrinth as a metaphor for her life. She rushed to the center to get there. Another was struck by the attitude or posture of the walkers. She saw them as automatons, walking, not looking at one another. And this is where I reminded her of the unwritten privacy rule. When I facilitate a walk, I use the words of Lauren Archer. She talks about using soft eyes so that you're, when you look at other people, you're a little bit unfocused. And it gives people their privacy to be with their feelings and their thoughts and their experience. Two others felt very joyful and childlike on the journey out. They spoke of wanting to dance and cavort. Their word, cavort. The feeling of connection to others led to the strong image of being in the dance of life together. Hearing of the varied experiences of others did not disturb that image. Our diversity is part of who we are. We were separate, each with our own journey, but we were together on the path. Hearing other diverse experiences only convinced me more that we all belong, that I belong. What I and others learned from our labyrinth walk journeys out with us. It is not only the feeling we learn from, but how we feel about the feeling, how we feel about what did happen, how we feel about what did not happen. That was dependent upon our own individual lives at that moment and up to that moment, and also on the experience of being together on the path. Mary Ellen Johnson, a Unity Lay minister, talks about the powerful lessons about relationship that people learn in the labyrinth. When you walk through a labyrinth with people, you temporarily go off toward different quadrants and then come in closer, like times when you're walking in agreement and closeness, so to speak, with another, but then hit conflict or distance. The beauty of the labyrinth is that everyone is on the same path, but we're at different places on the path as we all move toward the center. We walk together, we move apart. But in the big picture, we're all walking toward the center. That center for me is feeling beloved, feeling I belong, feeling we all belong. What connects it all is compassion. Lauren Archer suggests that shared compassion will be the meeting point for our communities. It is the shared compassion for all of life, which is part of a vision of spiritual maturity. Since beginning work with the Peace Group Beyond War in 1986, 
I have felt that humankind is going through a birth process of a new evolution. Lauren Archer talks about this. The labyrinth is truly a tool for our times. It can help us find our way through the bewildering multiplicity to the unity of source. The labyrinth is an evocative experience. The labyrinth provides the sacred space where the inner and outer worlds can commune, where the thinking mind and imaginative heart can flow together. It can provide a space to listen to our inner voice of wisdom and come to grips with our role in humankind's next evolutionary step. And Lauren Archer quotes Elizabeth Lesser again. Your path is your own, but you must walk side by side with others with compassion and generosity as your beacons. If anything is required, it is this. Fearlessness in your examination of life and death. Willingness to continually grow. And openness to the possibility that the ordinary is extraordinary. And that your joys and your sorrows have meaning and mystery. Blessed be. Our meditation today is in two parts. Um, The first part, just staying seated, is the song 391, Voice Still and Small, that one you hear on the labyrinth. And then um, I'll ask Bill to play um, part of a selection from River Tribe called House of Light. It's very evocative music. And we'll just sing this through once.
Our final hymn today is um, number 352, Find a Stillness. Um, what I would like to do is um, uh, remind you that we will be um, taking the labyrinth. I'm not going to ask people to walk it on the stairs. <laughs> um, uh, putting the labyrinth on the carpet where it fits if people want to walk the labyrinth afterwards. And um, Jim Logan has a pro poem that he wrote that he'll share before we walk. So these chairs on this side need to be piled up over there. These ones need to be moved at the back and to the side for people to sit before and after they walk the labyrinth. Um, so I think that's all. So we'll sing our, um, our final song, number 352. Before I extinguish the chalice, I'd like to thank um, Bill Lee for doing sound, Stella Clark for playing the piano even when she was sick. Thank you, dear friend. Um, 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 Marion Stewart, who's the minister, consulting minister at Nanaimo Salt Spring Island in Victoria, who is also a member of the CUC Lab, um, Labyrinth Facilitators Group, who um, was helpful to me in this service. Um, Pam Willerton for all her work in the office, and Pam and Gina for making coffee and tea. Thank you very much. Um, those of you who have been here before know that after the closing words, um, we um, hold hands and um, sing Carry the Flame twice. So the closing words, were there any others possible? Deep peace of the running wave to you. Deep peace of the flowing air to you. Deep peace of the quiet earth to you. Deep peace of the shining stars to you. Deep peace of the infinite peace to you. <laughs>